Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Welcome to a brand new day here at Talk Radio, the home of free speech, the headquarters of common sense and the bane of all woke commentators, the enemy of those who would take away our freedoms and the one place in the media landscape where we tell you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Yesterday, YouTube tried to stifle our message. They tried to silence our words. They tried to ban our pictures and our live television feed. Today, I'm delighted to announce we have triumphed over their censorship. We have been victorious in our fight for you, in our crusade to battle for the right to criticise our government, its strategy and its continuing assault on our livelihoods, our way of life and our fundamental freedoms. And it is due in no small part to all of you out there uh, who were magnificent yesterday uh, in sending messages, in sending messages of support to us, messages of complaint to them. Uh, We are now, of course, back doing what we do best. Make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are not in the business of promoting conspiracy theories. We are not in the business of concealing the truth. And we are not in the business of denying that COVID is a nasty and ghastly virus. But here is what we are in the business of doing. Safeguarding your rights, ensuring that every rule and restriction on your lives is based on common sense and proper scientific data. And we are here to bring you every side of the story without fear and without favour. As ever, we need to hear from you, the voices of reason in this debate. You are the people who matter, the people that we represent, and the people who are ignored by the vast tranches of the rest of the media. They don't care what you think, we do. And more than that, we want to actually articulate your thoughts and pass them on to the powerful forces running this country. We do it today, and we do it every single day. And so please do call us today as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Coming up, we'll be talking to Stuart Jackson from Political Insight. Neil Oliver joins us with his new puppy later on in lockdown Scotland. And we'll bring you the first plank of the week of 2021, which we recorded yesterday in the company of Kevin O'Sullivan and Dawn Neeson. And we'll be talking to one of Manchester's biggest bar owners about the latest horror show for hospitality, thanks to the government's latest measures. Strap yourselves in, guys. It's going to be one hell of a ride. 0344 499 1000. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. Uh, We are indeed unstoppable. We are Talk Radio. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, after the speech and the media briefing last night from Boris Johnson, we will be hearing from the Prime Minister later on today, around about 11.30. We expect him to get up in the House of Commons because today, of course, the uh, MPs of this country will be voting on the new measures which have already been brought in anyway. Uh, But let's talk to Stuart Jackson now, founder, director of Strategic Council at Political Insight, former Tory MP, of course. Stuart, a very good morning to you. Happy New Year. And to you, Mike, and congratulations on your victory yesterday against... uh, The forces of, um, how can I put it, Uh, (laughs) politely, uh, censorship, uh, woke censorship. I I think you're absolutely right. There's nothing wrong in challenging with data and evidence the decisions made by people in government that affect all our lives. And I think it was a crazy decision of YouTube and their right to have rescinded that. Well, quite right. I mean, Michael Gove yesterday, speaking to Julie Hartley Brewer, uh, conceded the same thing. He said, look, you know, Peter Hitchens and and his ilk are a very uh, estimable collection of of journalists. There's absolutely no reason not to uh, allow them to be on the airwaves talking about whatever it is that they talk about, questioning whatever it is they wish to question. That's what we do here. We live in a democracy. People died for that uh, in various wars in, in the history of this country and quite frankly you know it would be amazing to me if anyone and there are some people out there who are uh, in support of this would like to to silence people well not just that mike i think this goes to the heart of a bigger question about the future of democracy and free-ranging debate when you allow big tech 
to decide what is permissible and not permissible. Mm. And I think that the likes of uh, Twitter and YouTube need to be very, very careful because even the even the uh, big industrialists and capitalists of the 19th century who thought they were bigger than the government had their businesses broken up by government uh, when they became too uh, important. And, and that might happen to tech. So, you know, I think they have to be uh, mindful of the, the need for proper debate and discussion. And it's up to individual consumers to decide what they consume, not actually big tech. No, absolutely right. Let's talk a little bit about the state of things, because obviously Boris uh, came out of the new year fairly triumphantly, I think, with the Brexit uh, deal having been done. Many people didn't expect him to be able to reach that particular zenith. And I think he's done brilliantly uh, on Brexit. He still, unfortunately, hasn't managed to sort of carry that I think decisiveness and 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 uh, and leadership uh, skill into COVID. He still looks like a man who's being led around uh, by the likes of Chris Whitty. I agree, and I think that he's a naturally a brilliant, positive, optimistic kind of guy. And he's, I mean, he's not like me in m many respects. I'm I'm more of a communitarian. I wouldn't say I'm an authoritarian, but mm. he's a libertarian, and you can tell he absolutely hates the idea of having to impose these draconian rules on people, mm. particularly as we all believed and hoped, I think, in the summer that, uh, you know, this would be over, that, that the numbers would be much lower, that we would be getting back to normal, that the economy would be recovering. I don't think anyone really saw the development of uh, a, a strain which would be much more dangerous and transmissible. Mm. In terms of his style... You know, he is he's trying to cope with with a completely unprecedented situation uh, that, that no prime minister could have expected. And to cope with both Brexit and the COVID, I think the fact that he's keeping it together and he's still cheerful and ebullient, which I know irritates a lot of woke people because mm. they hate him over Brexit, yeah. I think is amazing. No, um, that's true. I, I, I think there's light at the end of the tunnel, though, Mike. Yeah, I think so. Well, I hope so, because, you know, we all came back from the Christmas and, and New Year break feeling, I suspect, slightly overserved. I think was a word that some of my friends used to use in America. Uh, you know, bit too much food, bit too much drink, bit too much indulgence, because there really wasn't much else to do uh, with your families. Um, and we were kind of I mean, I was kind of hopeful on day one on Monday that we would have a kind of slightly new approach. And I was very disappointed to see that, uh, you know, we still got the same old approach, which is shut everything down, shut the schools, you know, shut all the shops that don't sell anything apart from food and, and basically put an awful lot of people still uh, whose futures have been uh, wrecked already uh, onto the scrap heap. Yeah, I think the problem is over-promising and under-delivering. Yeah. And all governments will want to do that. And it's most important now that people level with with the electorate and the, the taxpayers about what it's going to cost mm. and the impact of it in a realistic way. And I think they need to start with the vaccination programme. I think it's absolutely right that they're going to give daily vaccination figures. I think it's right that they're not willing to be pinned down to every, uh, you know, I and cross T uh, by every media outlet as to precisely how many people and who and where will be vaccinated. But I do think if you're going to present people with uh, a, a sunlit upland, that there's a way out of this hideous nightmare, you've got to be realistic with them. And, you know, we have, we're doing exceptionally well, not as well as the Israelis. I mean, mm. the Israelis have actually vaccinated 15% of their population already. Right. We've vaccinated... 1.3 million people. I think we can get to 13 million in February, but be honest. I mean, my bugbear has been the, the exams. I think that is a precipitous decision. I yeah. think that will have a massive impact on children. And I agree with Robert Howe from the chair of the Education Select Committee. We need to really make sure that the teaching unions and teachers do provide proper online education for yeah. these children that are affected. Absolutely right. And I mean, as a parent of two teenage boys myself, I can see in their eyes that they're kind of a bit bewildered by it all really now because, you know, yes, they can. Uh, they kind of accepted uh, back at Easter of last year that they weren't going to be doing much until the summer and then they'd probably have summer off, but then probably September would come and everything would return to normal. And it just hasn't really happened. And I think if you're, if you're that age, you know, mine are 14 and 16, you just kind of go, 
what can you tell them? How can you kind of say, look, don't worry, this will pass, everything will be fine? Because you're talking about, you know, quite a large chunk of their lives now where they've basically done nothing. Yeah, it's very stressful and worrying for young people. I mean, I've got a daughter who's going to do GCSEs this year and she and her friends are naturally very worried about what's going to happen. I think there needs to be fairness um, and transparency on teacher assessments. I think my worry is that the teaching unions have, have been seen to have pushed education ministers around and threatened legal action and all the rest of it. And a lot of parents are saying, look, who, who runs education in this country? You know, it should be ministers and teaching professionals, not the teaching unions. Mm. But having said that, I think if, if Gavin Williamson, who's, I know he's taken a lot of flack, but if he can come up with... Um, a statement later today which is clear and unambiguous and doesn't change too much i think people will be able to plan for proper teacher assessments uh for may june july and and reassure parents and children and young people that their futures are not going to be in jeopardy as a result of COVID. No, listen, we've been taking calls from teachers all week who have said, look, we want to work. We don't want to stay home. We yeah. don't want to do uh, at-home learning. We want to be in the classroom scenario. We're not frightened to do that. But they're unfortunately being dictated to by uh, a very small number of terribly uh, left-wing unions uh, who are suggesting to the government that the teachers are frightened to go in, which is not true. One, surely the answer to all of this, Stuart, is to vaccinate the teachers, isn't it? Well, I would have thought so. Uh, my local school uh, that's just around the corner from me what was uh, ready to do mass testing this week. I think it wouldn't have been too difficult to for Public Health England to have brought forward vaccination for all teaching staff mm. and support staff, teaching assistants, because that was the red line that Boris didn't want to cross and has been forced to, because there are many, many hundreds of thousands of children that don't have the advantages of a big house, uh, super fast broadband, supportive middle-class parents. You know, a lot of people are having to work uh, on low wages. They have to go to work and they have to make arrangements for childcare. And this mm. is going to have a really big impact on them. And I, I do think the good thing about the uh, MPs on the Education Select Committee, they are keeping the uh, Department for Education on its toes on behalf of those children and young people because... As you say, they may have lost effectively a year and a half, two years of good quality teaching. Well, that's right. Um, as far as the way that, uh, that this uh, parliamentary session today will go, I'm hearing, Stuart, and I'm sure you are as well, that most of the people who were sceptics uh, against lockdown in the Tory party, the COVID recovery group people uh, led by Steve Baker and others, uh, Graham Brady, have kind of folded slightly on this and, and because of the new variant will go along. Yeah, I hear that as well. Even pretty hard-lying people like Peter Bone, who, who quite rightly has articulated his frustrations and concerns about these repeated lockdowns. I think he represents a lot of people who are very unhappy about it. They're getting big post bags and email inboxes mm. saying, look, our businesses are being ruined. What they're saying, though, is, look, this this hopefully will be the last de facto national lockdown um, I think there is some confusion about the date of mid-February and the end of March. The regulations actually go to the end of March, mm. which is why a lot of people are saying, look, is this a three-month lockdown or is it a six-week lockdown? Yeah. And I think that needs to be clarified by Matt Hancock today. But nevertheless, I think they will cut the government some slack on the basis that we're all willing for the vaccination programme to be successful. And for most people um, over 55 uh, and and those in the vulnerable groups to have been fully vaccinated by mid-February. Mm. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think there's no doubt, and there never has been any doubt, Stuart, that people will support any government uh, in a difficult time, providing that they have some kind of idea of where it's all going to end up. And at the moment, we still don't really have that, and I think that's part of the problem. Well, also, let's be honest, Mike, and I don't think you'd disagree with this, Keir Starmer's hapless. Oh, I mean, totally. He, Absolutely useless. He's not providing proper, thoughtful, coherent opposition that, that, you know, Blair is better at articulating the policy on COVID. He hasn't been prime minister for 13 right. years right. than Keir Starmer, who's leader of the opposition. And I think unless they raise their game and stop being what, you know, what do they call it? Monday morning quarterback yeah, yeah. Captain Hindsight. after the event. 
yeah, Captain Hindsight. People are not going to take them seriously. And, and we saw yesterday, uh, Annalise Dodds, the Shadow Chancellor, was asked eight times to quantify how much Labour would spend on helping business through COVID, mm. and she refused to answer the question. People aren't stupid. They, they will, will challenge Labour. If, if you think Boris is so bad, what would you do differently? Yeah, well, Annalise Dodds makes Diane Abbott look like a towering intellect, I'm afraid. So I'm afraid uh, we haven't got much faith in her. But I'll tell you what, the problem with Keir Starmer is every single conversation he has ends with, and I've offered the Prime Minister my assistance uh, in finding a cross-party solution to this problem. Well, I'm sorry, matey. You know, you lost one of the biggest election losses since the 1930s. What makes him think that anybody with any brains wants him anywhere near Downing Street? Well, he's got a flag, hasn't he? He's got, he's got, Boris has got three flags in the background and he's got one. And he thinks if you've got a Union Jack in the background, you're, you're Sir Keir Super Patriot and people yeah. will forget about your record. Right. You know, they are looking for people. To be fair, Jonathan Ashworth, the shadow health secretary, has done a I don't mind him, job. actually. I don't mind him. He's not been sniping. He's been clear he's been consistent and helpful and constructive in his opposition Keir Starmer has got a long way to go before he gets anywhere near that yes exactly right so what are you expecting uh, in terms of debate today anything um, interesting I mean that's the trouble because Keir Starmer as you say he never really has a point to make other than what you're doing today you should have done yesterday that's it he doesn't really have any great ideas does he no and I noticed that the exceptionalism of the EU and Germany on dealing with COVID and vaccines. Funnily enough, that's not going to be mentioned today because, uh, you know, the vaccination programme in the EU, European Medicines Agency, has not been stellar and the handling of COVID has not been stellar. Now, I'm not crowing about that, but what I am crowing about is the fact that so many of these commentators, these liberal commentators three or four months ago were saying how rubbish the UK is, how awful Brexit yeah. is and how we've mishandled this. And actually, in some respects, we've done better than a lot of places in Europe. Yeah. We, we are no literally question. all in this together. Also, so Stuart, stop you scoring are, points. Yeah, absolutely right. And also, by the way, and I did a lot of this on Monday, so I'm, I, I'm not really doing it today, but I don't mind uh, dipping my toe once again in the sweet smell of victory from leaving the European Union. But at the end of the day, you know, we've left the European Union. You know, you and I are still managing to speak on an electric uh, telephone line, watching ourselves on video. Uh, I haven't run out of any food. I've been able to get my mince pies. I've been able to get my muffins. I've been able to get my bananas straight or otherwise. You know, all of the things that they said would happen Happen, haven't happened. Well, what made me laugh, Mike, is the BBC <laughs> had a sort of running blog post of Brexit chaos and they had to close it down. They've killed it, right? Because there's nothing to put <laughs> on it. no Brexit <laughs> chaos. And, I mean, Sky News, they were all wearing black armbands oh, I know. On, uh, on Monday yeah. because it was so terrible. And they were forced to sort of talk to the itinerant Romanian lorry driver who's saying, well, actually, there's... There's no problem, but I'm going to stay in Romania right. because it's easy. My favourite was I mean, New, you know, New Year's Day, right? New Year's Day, we had about five camera crews down at Dover saying, well, actually, it seems to be going OK. And you can see the people in the, in the, in the studio back in Isleworth so disappointed. Well, do you think it might get a bit busier later? Do you think there might be uh, some trouble? Oh, yeah, probably get a lot worse later. And, of course, it didn't. You know, it's fine. No. But when Kay Burley's back from a safari later in the year... Mm. Uh, that will, I'm sure, uh, change. Your table, and, for, and table for six. <laughs> table for six. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is oh, and Piers Morgan as well. Well, Piers listen, as Piers well. a mate of mine. Uh, I've no idea whether he went to the Caribbean or not. He's not saying, uh, but he does look a bit brown, I must say, uh, on the telly. We shall see. Just Stuart Jackson, thank you very much indeed. Founder, Director of Strategic Council at Political Insight, former Tory MP, of course. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, listen, this day was already going really, really well. It now has taken a great turn, even for the better. Julie Hartley Brewer, welcome. Hello, fancy welcome. seeing you here. I don't, this looks weird to we're, me. We're in the I'm, wrong place. We're in the wrong place. Yeah. I'm not used to this at all. Listen, fantastic to see you. We both this morning, I think, were filled with the joys of spring when, when yes. I was sitting where you are, because it was a great feeling yesterday to know that we hadn't done anything wrong, that we were not in any way uh, in the naughty corner. We shouldn't have been. And we're now back 
not only are we back, but we're better and bigger than ever now. Absolutely, yeah. It didn't, didn't really work very well, did it? To it really did YouTube didn't. censorship. I have to say, I've, I've just actually uh, been uh, listening back to the offending video, yes. apparently. Mm. The video that uh, apparently was politically censored for not towing. I'm not quite sure what line I'm supposed to tow. I'm, right. I'm, I'm here asking questions and, and giving evidence. And, mm. like, and I still can't work out what it is that YouTube thought I'd done wrong. Yes. And this was an interview with, was it a It was a union, former, uh, former president of the National Education yes. Union. Right. Uh, Amanda Martin, yeah, right. um, a robust interview. She had plenty of time to have as, her say. As we have every single day. Yeah. You know, you have a point of view. They have a point of view. And the listeners can listen to both points of view and make their own minds yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the substance of the interview, two key things really was whether or not um, schools are, should be closed and whether or not there's a risk, mm. uh, but also whether or not teachers uh, should basically jump the queue, as many are calling for, and basically be up there with NHS frontline workers and care home workers to get the vaccine beforehand, despite the fact they're not being at any other risk than anyone else. I mean, the idea frankly, that a, a healthy 30-year-old teacher should jump the queue ahead of, say, you know, uh, someone who's in their 70s. Frankly, I, as I told her, I thought, was, I thought was morally obscene. Genuinely, I've listened back to every single word twice. Yeah. And I still can't work out what it is. And this is the interesting thing. When YouTube uh, does actually take down videos, it doesn't just happen to us. It yeah. happens to lots of people yeah. uh, as well. Luckily, we have an amazing kind of, I mean, genuinely, I've been quite overwhelmed. And I know you have and everyone else at the station has been. What an amazing, amazing bunch of listeners we have who yes. came out to bat for us. And also, can we just say as well, without sounding too toadyish, <laughs> what an incredible management team we have Thank as well. You guys. Who also uh, kicked a few doors in and made sure that this wasn't going to happen. Yeah, but, but the key thing is everyone's standing together. And also an awful lot of people who say, you know what, I don't agree with your stance I yeah. don't even like what you're saying but I defend your right to do it and, the Absolutely. and, and this is the key thing is that when YouTube does this they, they don't write you a letter and say oh we've got a bit of a problem with something yeah. we do and as you know we're there's Ofcom no dialogue, regulated is there? yeah if someone makes a complaint Ofcom decides that, that there's an issue they will actually you know they will write to us can you justify this interview this particular thing that was said um, and that you, you're allowed to give feedback you can go back and forth sometimes for weeks or even months mm. uh, and then there'll be a ruling um, YouTube no we just woke totally up yesterday arbitrary, morning yeah. to discover that our YouTube page had been not taken down, banned. Yes, completely and utterly just disappeared. Like no reason some given, Chilean no notification. Dissident. You know, you walked into a football stadium and that was the end of you. But let's have a listen as well to uh, Michael Gove because you spoke to him yesterday. And that's the other thing. You know, we are a bona fide media outlet. We talk to government ministers, we talk to MPs all the time, politicians of all shades. Let's have a listen to your conversation about this with Michael Gove. Do you think people in a free democratic country should be allowed to debate government policy, should be allowed to question whether or not there should be lockdowns, whether that response is proportionate and discuss the relative threats of, of different, uh, of different uh, viruses? And Do you think we should be allowed a free and full debate on that without censorship by, say, for instance, big tech? Yes. Are you confident that that's happening right now? I hope so. And do you think that any action should be taken by the government if it isn't happening or if there is censorship? Well, uh, well I, again, I, I don't believe in censorship. And uh, we have a, a, a free and fair press and we have uh, commentators and interviewers uh, of, of distinction who do criticise the, the government's position from uh, Lord Sumption, the former Supreme Court judge, to uh, Peter Hitchens, the distinguished Mail on Sunday columnist um, and others. Um, and long may it remain so. And I respectfully disagree with them, but I think it's important that their voices are heard um, and that debate takes place. Do you think it's dangerous or that people have blood on their hands if they ask questions? No, I think it's absolutely right that people should ask questions. Michael Gove there speaking to Julia Hartley Brewer. And Julia, um, we've now got two YouTube channels. Um, if you go to our Twitter account, you can find, uh, in my Twitter account as well, I've just retweeted uh, the destination where you need to go, the second uh, YouTube account, our highlights account, where you can see the video that they used to ban us, which bizarrely is still up because, <laughs> in fact, apparently it's fine. Yeah. But, but, but exactly. But again, no reason has ever been given why it's not. And, no. and that is the bizarre thing. And the key thing is, it doesn't matter whether you agree with something or disagree with something. I see stuff on BBC, on Sky, mm. I hear, you know, Radio 5 Live. I, I don't I don't agree with a lot of what's said. That doesn't mean that I should have a right to ban it, to censor it. Freedom of speech is so fundamental mm. to a democracy. At a time when we're not even, we haven't had haven't had a local elections last year. They may even be cancelled yep. this year. When we have a parliament today having a vote on legislation that came into force at midnight last yep. night for goodness sake. When we have government by decree, people are banned from protesting, even perfectly safely in the open air, many metres apart from each other. When we have no freedom to even see our family members, to, to open businesses, to leave our homes for work, no right for our children to go to school, for mm. God's sake. 
for goodness sake, let us hold on to one fundamental exactly. freedom, the freedom of speech, the right to question, to debate. You, you know, I don't want to live in China. I don't want to live in North Korea. I want to live in a country where we get to question what is going on, question policy, question the expert, question the government ministers. Um, this is absolutely vital. And yeah. it's not only something that should be allowed. It's something that should be encouraged. It is a duty of citizens in a yes. democracy to question authority. Of course it is. And to be fair to the government, who we are very critical of at the moment, and we have been critical of in the past, you know, not one member of that cabinet that we have in Downing Street, I don't think, uh, would be against anything that we say, uh, would try to stop us from saying anything and would encourage us to question them. Because after all, you know, we, we might complain that we don't often get a, a chance to ask a question at some of these media briefings. But, you know, we do have media briefings and we are able to ask them questions. And so, you know, I think this is a very important moment, I think, not just for talk radio, but for Britain. I think this is massive for us. Yeah. And again, it's the idea that, uh, that, that a big tech company in California, uh, you know, a private organisation, can uh, decide what people can and can't see and hear mm. here in the UK. I mean, who, who put them in charge? Well, I mean, I have this vision of a load of guys who look a bit like the blokes from Scooby-Doo, you know, with a sort of <laughs> a couple of, Scooby, you know, uh, yeah, you, know <laughs> you know, let's ban it. But that's it. And they've got this idea that, you know, they, they, they are the, uh, the arbiters of what is true. Mm. Uh, well, I'm sorry, but no one gets to be arbitrary. No. You, 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 if you don't agree with what we're saying, if you think we're wrong, then, then, then show us why we're wrong. Mm. Argue with us, debate with us. I mean, this is the key thing. They don't get to decide. And again, if they want to decide, if they want to be able to centre, they have to stop pretending that they're a platform and not a publisher. Yes. They can't have it both ways. They really can't. And also, what's also been interesting is that there's been a few names drawn up on a list that I have, uh, which is growing by the minute, oh of people who were in very much encouraging this ban uh, by YouTube. One of them, Dr Dominic Pimenta. You yes. might remember him. Yes. Uh, he's put this out yesterday. Apologies if any of the talk radio links do not work anymore. Unfortunately, YouTube has deleted their channel for violating community guidelines. I take full credit for this, he said, right? Now, this is a guy who I've had on my show, you've had on your show. Oh, I've oh no, I've not had him, him on my show. I've, I've disagreed <laughs> with him vehemently. I've promoted his charity. I've actually retweeted getting money for him for NHS workers. Well, you know what, Dominic? You can forget about that for the future because you're on the list and you're never getting back on. <laughs> but that's the thing. It, it is extraordinary how many people, especially who are journalists, who who, uh, who bizarrely don't think that we should have freedom. Of Some other broadcasters were very vociferous in their support of YouTube. Yes. That's a shame. They're on the list too. <laughs> I, I, But again, I think people should be very careful of people who make lists, particularly when they're people in power and authority. And, yes. And, and that is the thing. Uh, we should all stand together. I would march in the streets for any Everyone and everyone to have their right of free speech and to question things and take things. I mean, I'm sorry, if we're not allowed to question things, then we're still living on a flat earth. I know. That's the territory we are talking about. Absolutely brilliant. And, and I kind of say, no, the amount of times that actually we have been told something by the government, yeah. told something by the so-called health experts, which has later been shown to mm -hmm. be debunked, not backed up by the data. The predictions have not come true. I think people who aren't questioning uh, the government and the experts, frankly, are not doing their job properly. No, you're absolutely right. Julia, it's an absolute pleasure to have had you here. I'm still Mate, I'm buzzing. I'm Listen, buzzing with the thrill is, of it. This is a horrible, horrible loving. But do you know what? I've said it before, I've Listen, said it again. We Never it. been prouder of my station, my colleagues. And you mm. know what? You listeners, because you backed us to the hill and are we allowed to say bloody? We bloody love yeah, you. Yeah, just bloody well we say bloody it. bloody love I you. just bloody well wish we could go for a <laughs> pint of champagne now, but unfortunately we can't because we're not allowed to. But Julie Hartley Brewer, back tomorrow morning, of course. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Music. 
Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. And apologies to Neil Oliver, who joins us uh, from Scotland, because he's been waiting patiently uh, to come on, as he normally does at 11 o'clock. But we had to do that with Julie Hartley Brewer, because this is a momentous moment, not just for talk radio, but for free speech in this country. Neil, uh, very good uh, morning to you. Happy New Year. Welcome. Uh, happy New Year to you. Uh, good to see you. And uh, yeah, it's no problem waiting. That's fine. No, listen, um, we, we, we've got Boris Johnson coming up. So you're sandwiched between, I don't know whether you want to think about this, Julie Hartley Brewer and Boris Johnson. But, you know, listen, um, it's delightful to see you. I know you yourself have had many, many misgivings about what went on with YouTube yesterday. Um, I'm delighted to, to, to say that we've managed to, to, to get ourselves not only back on YouTube, but also in a stronger position um, and to have absolutely taught them a lesson. Uh, in free speech? Yes, uh, it has to be a, a fundamental uh, building block of, of, of our society. Uh, and I, I believe, apart from anything else, that uh, the, the, the better solution that's more compassionate, that, that takes better care of those who have been uh, overlooked up until this point, that, that better solution will be found by listening to as many voices as possible, mm. uh, rather than characterising any part of the debate, however, any part of the debate, however large or small, as being in the wrong. Uh, it's by it's by hearing as many voices as possible. I believe that we can better tune the solution to get as many people as possible, if not everyone, uh, through this dreadful situation in which we all now find ourselves. Yes. Well, it's almost as though um, you know, educating people is somehow now seen as divisive. Well, it isn't. You know, I mean, you have been um, a journalist in your in your time, an archaeologist, a TV presenter. You've studied. Um, you've been at university. You know, imagine if you were told at some point during that uh, work career of yours, oh, you don't want to learn about that. Why would you want to know about that? I mean, it's better if you don't know. Yes, it, it's you've got to be. Well, I've always been. You can't really say you've got to be. I've always been interested in in reading and and hearing and listening as widely as possible. Across everything, I mean, there's nothing that I'm not interested in. Mm. I, I'm omnivorous in my in my appetites about what's going on, uh, and in this situation, you know, this is this is one of the most tense, anxiety-inducing situations I can remember, and it hasn't lasted for weeks. It's lasted for a period of time that will shortly be being measured in years, and I can't know enough about it. And I certainly would be I would balk against being told that there were opinions and points of view that I was simply not allowed to hear because mm. they were somehow bad or bad for me to hear. Mm. I want to hear it. I want to be able to assess for myself, you know, what I think uh, collectively is the best understanding of the situation. I find it bizarre. I've said it before that I find myself in this position where you and I, you know, where you talk to me every week like this, uh, because I regard myself, however you might badge me, I'm just a kind of a man in the street, Mm. just a reasonable person interested and involved uh, but, I, you know, I get told all the time uh, that I, I shouldn't be airing these opinions. But I know from the people who, who talk to me in the street and who come up to me that there's a, there's a measurable number of people who are desperate to hear a voice like mine. Yes. Not because I'm especially clever or, or especially well-informed, just because I am asking questions and expressing opinions that they feel the better for knowing are at least getting out there. Mm. And I feel that about all opinions and this dangerous situation that we've, that we've got ourselves into where uh, uh, people we don't even see or whose names we don't even know are taking decisions on our behalf about who we can listen to. That is that is wrong. Yes. That is just fundamentally wrong and unhelpful. It's totally wrong. And one of the reasons, Neil, that talk radio is so successful and has been uh, in 2020 is because of the fact that we not only listen to people like yourself, and, and I think you're doing yourself a slight disservice. You're, you're slightly more than just your average man in the street. But uh, we listen also to the average man and woman in the street. We take their calls. We take their views on board. We listen to them uh, and we amplify what it is that they're worried about and what it is that they think about. And I don't think there are many uh, media outlets that do that, not because um, they hate the man and woman of the street. It's just that they're so far up their own backsides that they think that only their voices matter. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hearing when I, when I do drift in and out of other, other, other platforms and other, other broadcasts, uh, I, I'm not going to name any names, but I hear broadcasters, journalists, uh, who seem to be asking all the time, shouldn't we be implying harsher restrictions? Mm. You know, aren't there even harder rules that we, that we could be applying? 
and I don't feel that it's the that it's that it's really helpful to have well journalists leading the charge mm. for for regulations to make life harder for people. They, they, they ought to be asking questions which are seeking answers to to the general betterment of our society and civilization. A lot of the time, I find that there's a strong air of the ends justify the means at the moment. That people are being asked and encouraged to be harder and tougher on those that they know to be suffering out in wider society. Mm. And the ends justify the means. That's a form of words that should strike terror into the heart of of people living in in a liberal Western democracy, mm-hmm. you know, because the ends don't always justify the means, and it's certainly not a hard and fast rule. And this, where people are being encouraged to be less compassionate, that can't possibly be right. We need more compassion. Mm-hmm. And the longer this goes on, the harshness of the regulations, however necessary some might people, however necessary some people might feel them to be, they are taking a terrible toll not just on a few people, but on millions of people. And we mustn't lose our compassion about that. Absolutely not. And also, also, Neil, the one one thing that I've been saying, and I've been saying it this week, and and I'll probably say it next week and the week after, is that the only thing we know for sure is that everything that has happened so far and everything that we have done to stop the spreading of the virus has not worked. It's that simple. It has not worked. And in any event, you can't, if you're at war, and we keep on using this sort of analogy of of a war against an unseen enemy. Now, COVID is not the only enemy. It is is an enemy. But there are other, our uh, our population is under attack from more than one enemy now. That being poverty, that being hardship, loss of livelihood, mental health, uh, other other health ailments that that are being overlooked. And there is no uh, general who would advocate defending only one citadel Mm. in a war. And that all we've done at the moment is target a single enemy out of many, and we've found one thing to defend, which is is the NHS, which is among many things that are are in need of being defended. But in the meantime, other enemies, other threats to the the well-being of the population are swarming among us in the form of hardship. Just winter itself is going to make this harder than the lockdown was back in, you know, when we were able to, you know, get through it in the, in the spring and the summer months. There are other things that are taking a toll on people that are not being fought off. And in fact, in, to some extent, are being allowed to run rampant. Yeah. And they're taking a toll on too many people. And it's not enough to just defend a single citadel. No, that's absolutely right. And interestingly enough as well, um, you know, we've looked upon Scotland in various different ways from London. You know, I know Scotland well, not everybody does. And Nicola Sturgeon, uh, until relatively recently, has been seen uh, as this kind of shining beacon of of leadership, when in fact that's a bit of a a pig in a poke, if you don't mind me saying so. Um, What's it like up there at the moment? Because we're now sort of suffering similarly uh, in terms of the lockdown measures. But you have been under much more draconian measures for much longer. Yes, I, I, you know, I, I find it hard to assess and compare and contrast exactly, you know, tier this, lockdown that. Right. But I would say it's fair to say that we have been generally more locked down and for longer than than maybe, well, certainly in England. I, I, I'm not even sure about the situation in, in Wales and, and Northern Ireland, but Scotland has been more locked down, I think. I think I'm right in saying that. And yes, it is taking a desperate toll. But part, part of the problem is it's been a a univariant solution to the problem all the time you know whatever the the Scottish government and and Nicola Sturgeon is being the principal spokesperson Mm. for that uh, one person cannot defend the country against what is going on at the moment there's too much going on and it's not just Covid Mm. Uh, and likewise neither can uh, Boris Johnson or any of the rest of them you know what is really needed is I don't know some sort of like a, a government of national unity at the moment fewer divisions between people, fewer distinctions, more of a collective approach, bringing in as many ideas as possible. It's got to be time to start listening to the other sides of the scientific argument because the the single-minded application of only one side of the scientific debate hasn't seemed to have got us very far. No, it really hasn't. We are are where we are. And I was hopeful, Neil, when I came back to work after Christmas and New Year, that we could have a sort of new beginning on Monday. And I was very uplifted. I was glad to be back at work. I was really, you know, firing all cylinders. But we've sort of sunken back in uh, to this ridiculous 
uh, defensive position, almost like the fetal position of just lying there waiting for something uh, and someone to tell us what to do. And I think I think if something simple that has to be done. We've spoken again and again about that proportion of the of the working population, well, not working at the moment population, who've been left high and dry by this. Now, the, the powers that be must and will know who they are. You know, if you're if you're five minutes late with ten pence on your on your VAT bill or your or your tax return, mm. they find you quick enough. So conversely, the, the powers that be must know who it is that hasn't been helped. And some sort of financial aid package has to be surely organized for those people now. We've already got a, a debt that's going to be glowing red hot for the population for a hundred years to come. Yeah. You know, we're, we're going to be paying this off like we had to pay off the, the debt that was accrued for the for the Second World War or whatever. Uh, and, and to leave a, a measurable number of people so economically adrift when clearly this situation of economic hardship is only going to continue, possibly for the rest of the year. You know, some as well as fighting, uh, the, as well as fighting the virus and all the rest of it, something has to be done to help those people. Mm. Because we all know about the livelihoods that are being destroyed, the mental health that's being destroyed. People are taking their own lives. I'm hearing about it from people I'm in touch with. I'm hearing about suicides. And that is a situation that no one who considers themselves to be compassionate and liberal can, can turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to. Uh, and when we're in so much financial hawk anyway, uh, surely, surely, those people that have been left adrift have to be helped now before any more time goes by. And they have to be, if we're all in it together, I mean, the all in it together rhetoric becomes harder and harder to listen to mm. when plainly many, many people are being put into circumstances that are unsurvivable, while other people, you know, can, can, can go about their business quite well through mm. lockdown. That's been demonstrated, but it's not good enough. No, but this is why we got to where we got to yesterday with YouTube, because what we do here at Talk Radio, Neil, is we question that narrative that says, in order for all of us to feel better and for the world to recover from this ghastly, horrible virus, which we all know it is, um, we must behave in this particular way. Because in order to base your policy on facts is one thing. But to base your policy on projections uh, and on fear uh, and on what might happen, what if you don't do this, this will happen. I think that's the wrong headed approach. And I think eventually people will begin to see that. Yes, that 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 concept where you say if we don't do A, then B will will definitely follow. Mm. It, it always seems to evolve into kind of a circular argument. You know, either things get worse or, or it doesn't seem to have worked mm. or if it does work, then that seems to be a justification for saying, well, we were right to do what we did. There's a, there's a kind of an unbreakable circularity to that argument, and it yeah. seems to justify just continuing to do what's been done in the past. But we, we need to open it up. This has been a, a, a single-minded, one-policy approach to dealing with the situation that we're in, and that the continued return to one lockdown after another, it doesn't seem to be working because eventually the lockdown has to be eased and then the, the virus seems to harvest people again or infect people again. I don't think anyone really, if we're being led by the science, I don't think anybody can look at the results of the last one year's experiment and say that it's been any kind of a success. No, I mean... It's fighting a losing battle. Right. Exactly. And it may not be their fault. And I think the government would have far more um, uh, sort of confidence put in them by the people if they sort of admitted that. You know, I mean, nobody likes to admit that they don't know what they're doing, but they don't know what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there is a there is a hubris and, and a vanity at play. Mm. I, I suspect that way back when a group of scientists persuaded the powers that be that they could solve this. Mm that they had looked at it and had analysed it and that they knew what to do. And the, and the powers that be took that in, in, in good faith. But having tried it over a protracted period of time and it not having got us out of the hole that we are evidently still in, surely just common sense says we're going to have to try something else. It's, it's not to say that we just abandon everything that we've been doing. I don't, I don't know if that would be the right thing to do, but we have to broaden it out. Mm. We have to fight this war. On, we have to open up new fronts against against the enemy. Yeah. And the enemy is not just the virus. The virus is undoubtedly, you know, a, a potent enemy that people are, are justifiably frightened of. 
but it is not the only danger or evil that is stalking the land at the moment. Right. It's absolutely right. Now, we're about to go to Boris Johnson, and so I'm going to afraid we're going to have to cut this a little bit short, Neil. But before you go, one piece of good news. Uh, you've got a new puppy. And, I mean, everybody's just going to now go, oh, that's what we need to hear. Yeah, yeah, we, we do. We've got one Irish wolfhound at the moment. Now we've got a second. Uh, she's uh, 10 weeks old. She's called Jessie. Jessie. Uh, and she is uh, indescribably beautiful, yes. Well, it's lucky you don't live in Glasgow, because with a name like Jessie, she wouldn't get far, would you? Yeah, Jessie! <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, Neil, tremendous to talk to you again. Good to see you. Keep your, uh, keep your chin up, as they say, and uh, we'll talk to you again same time next week. Um, Neil Oliver there, uh, of course, archaeologist, TV presenter, uh, great man of the people and great supporter of free speech and, of course, of talk radio as well. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Now, we've already spoken to a great many people this morning, and I'm delighted to say that we're joined by a new guest that we haven't spoken to before, uh, Martin Greenhow, Managing Director of Mojo, a company uh, up in Manchester, which I understand uh, is a big hospitality company. Uh, Martin comes to us uh, recommended by somebody who's been listening to this show for a very, very long time. Martin, uh, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon to you, Mike. Thanks, Thanks, very, Thanks very much indeed for talking to us. Tell us first of all about Mojo, about your company, what you do. Uh, we're, a, we're a chain of five cocktail bars across the north of England. Um, so we're in Manchester, as you say, Liverpool, Leeds and, uh, and Harrogate. So, uh, yeah, we've been going for some 20 years, uh, 20, oh God, uh, longer than I care to remember, really, 24 yeah. years. Um, and been, you know, a very successful business in our own right. We've, we've never been a cavalier business, if you like. We've, you know, we've, we've been fairly um, uh, cautious um, but we've, we've, we've always built in a sustainable manner. Uh, and of course, that all kind of counts for nothing when, when the rug's pulled firmly from under your feet, as it has been in the last year. Well, it must be incredibly difficult. I mean, I'm friends with, with lots of people, Martin. I don't know whether you've, you've listened to this show much, but I, I've got a lot of friends in the restaurant business, in the bar business. I mean, I, I'm happy to say and, and, and admit that I spend a lot of time in restaurants and bars where I used to. Um, and I really, really do feel for you because nobody could have ever imagined that not only is are we where we are, but we would be doing this for such a long time. Absolutely. And thank you for your custom, speaking for our industry. You know, very gratefully received. And we hope to have you back sometime in the not too distant future. As I say, we, we were always a very cautious business. We, we weren't cavalier in any way, shape or form. Um, and, you know, to some extent, I would uh, get ribbed by our bank manager of all things for saying, you know, we must keep a quarters of... Uh, quarters worth of wages in the bank at all times so that we, we can cover this. And, and in fairness, that's helped to see us through this to date to some extent. Mm. But to add, the only parallel I can draw with what the, the last nine months has been like is it's, it's been like waterboarding. Yeah, you know, we, We've been plunged below, below the surface and then occasionally dragged back out. We grab a, a, a quick you know breath of fiscal oxygen, as I've referred to it, and then we're slammed back down again. Mm. And is it as if it isn't difficult enough dealing with the situation and dealing with the concerns that we all have? It, it's the uncertainty and the ever-changing playing field that we're, we're trying to exist under. You know, as businesses, we, we need to be able to plan, we need to be able to project um, and, and, and arrange ourselves in, in a, a professional manner. And, and that's simply not the case. We're, we're in a position where, you know, the rules seem to change on an almost daily basis. Some, some time ago, I kind of got to the point where I said, do you know what? I'm not going to make another plan mm. because by the time I finish writing it, it'll be redundant. Yeah. All the rules will have changed. The requirements of us will have changed. I mean, you, you've only to go back to when we were all allowed to open back in, in July. Yeah. The, the vast majority of hospitality businesses invested huge sums of money in, you know, in a variety of things, whether it, it was... Um, mobile phone applications to allow people to order from tables, whether it was Perspex screens mm. and what have you. And, and I know the public must be sick of hearing my industry complain about this, but we all invested so much money. We weren't awash with money at that point anyway, right. but we invested in it. And, you know, a few weeks later, whoop, the rug's gone from below our feet yeah. again. I mean, it's really um, tragic, isn't it? Because I was going to say, I mean, I'm not familiar too. I can't remember exactly the timeline of, of what it's been like uh, up in, in, in your neck of the woods. But certainly in London, you know, yes, we, we, we did a show, funnily enough, from a, from a pub just over London, uh, behind the building here at London Bridge on July the 4th on the Saturday that it first opened. And, you know, there looked like there was some hope 
at that point for the for the industry because you know people were able to go it was incredibly safe it was very well uh, managed you know nobody was standing at the bar anymore there wasn't you know six people deep it was a very different experience also friends of mine with restaurant businesses you know had done exactly what you did uh, they've had you know every second table was empty that kind of thing um, when were you then having to shut down again after the July after the July opening well, so we obviously we got open again in July. You're quite right. Um, I think we, like most hospitality businesses, pivoted our model. Uh, we changed how we did things. In fact, one of my managers um, complained in a very positive manner that her concern was we weren't giving them the normal experience. Mm. And I went, no, we're not, but we're working in a safe manner. Right. We're ensuring, you know, we're allowing people that bit of respite from their day-to-day life. And it's different from what it used to be, but we will do this. Um, and then the, then the first imposition was the rule of six, and we kind of assimilated that, and we were working with it. And then uh, it was late in, in September when the curfew came in. Right. Now, the curfew was a hammer blow to hospitality yeah. because you, you've got to go back, and I'm, I'm taking myself back. We, we went to July. Our capacity was restricted by about 60%. Right. Now, that, that's very difficult. You know, anybody imagine that. Somebody takes 60% of your fridge away from you and you're probably going to be hungry by the end of the week. Um, but then when the curfew came in, that was, for us, that was 60% of our trading hours went as well. Mm. Uh, you know, and there was that misconception by a lot of people that actually you're losing an hour or two. We weren't losing an hour. We were losing six and seven hours of our trading yeah. time. And, and you drop from your normal trading volumes to some 20, 30% of what you were doing. Now, you know, if, and if also, you said, it was totally counterproductive, Martin. And, and even the government admitted later that it was an arbitrary number, and it was like, "Oh, let's just shut the place at ten o'clock." I mean, there was no science behind it whatsoever. A nail head hit you, bang on. Look, more more so than that. All of the you know, the Sage themselves have admitted there is no justification. No. This is an assumption we have government by assumption. It seems to me at the moment, um, and you know. When you're playing with three million plus people's lives in hospitality, not to mention the hundreds of thousands of people in in the broader supply and support chain, you know, we're talking about property maintenance companies, mm. we're talking about wholesalers, butchers, you know, fishmongers, uh, vegetable suppliers. These people are all screaming in pain at the moment, and you know, a lot of them with little to no support, particularly in the supply chain. Yeah. And the, the support to hospitality has been. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be um, ungrateful. We, we, are, we are grateful for what support we get. But I think the public at large need to realise that it, it barely scratches the surface. Yeah. I, I've referred to, you know, everybody points to furlough. And when furlough came in, I was very grateful for it because I have a fantastic team works for me. I am, you know, as proud as can be of the people that work for me, particularly during the troublesome times we had in the summer where they had to change everything they did. And it allowed us to hold on to them. But as things have progressed, furlough hasn't been about keeping people in work. It's been about flattening the curve of unemployment. Mm. And, and, and that is all it's been about. Because if businesses aren't there at the end, furlough will be a, a total waste of the public's money. Mm. And, and don't forget, furlough doesn't cover national insurance. And it doesn't cover the pension contributions that, that the businesses have to make. And it also doesn't cover people like yourself, Martin, right? Because you're the no, owner. No, no, no. Hands up, not paid since March. Yeah. I've been I mean, that's money. a shocking state of affairs. And please, listen, I can hear in the tone of your voice, you're used to talking to people who are not very sympathetic to you. We are very sympathetic to you here at the Independent Republic because you are the bread and butter business of this country. You know, you are the people who serve the tourists. You're the people that serve the workers. You're the people that, see, that keep, you know, so many people employed who can't otherwise maybe work. You know, part-time time as students everything you know you are the backbone of this country absolutely we are and you know we we have um you know we have retained all of our full-time staff um and that's a struggle because as i say you know it is costing us every month yeah and we have no income um, but we're determined to keep hold of those because without them we aren't a business we're just buildings and you know we have to hold on to them or, or all is lost mm. um and you know God willing, we will get through this thing. And we, we have borrowed a vast sum of money, uh, which basically cash flows us through into the summer. And, you know, my fingers and toes remain crossed at all times. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think 
And you mentioned that I am used to people having a little bit of lack of sympathy. And I think that is very understandable. Mm. You know, if anybody listens to somebody complain long enough, it's like listening to the shouty mum. You know, it's like, well, if you just stop, the kids aren't yeah. listening because you never stop shouting. Yeah. Um, if, if we, and retail to some extent, well, to a large extent, are allowed to, to decline to the extent that we're going to, and it's going to be vast. I, you know, it's going to hurt everybody because towns and cities, if, you, if I would say to every listener now, have a look around your town centre, have a look around your city centre, look at all the to-let boards. Mm. If you pay attention to that, you're going to realise there's an awful lot more of them than there were in the summer. Yeah. And by the time you get to next summer, there's going to be an awful lot more. Now, you may say, well, what does that mean to me? Well, it, it's really important to you. And it's probably important to, you know, your parents and your grandparents because the vast swathe of city and town centres are owned by pension funds. Yeah. And if they're not making income, pensions will not get paid. Local, you know, local rates, when they come back to being paid, business rates, when they come... You've just frozen for a second. We're talking to Martin Greenhow, Managing Director of Mojo. We'll just try and get that signal fixed. He's got basically five, I, I think I'm right in saying, uh, bars. Manchester, Liverpool, Nottingham, Leeds and Harrogate. And the bottom line, and I've always said this about hospitality, is that hospitality is a place where an awful lot of people go. It's a place where an awful lot of people are employed. It's a place where an awful lot of business is conducted. Now, I know that we've had this conversation that's been going on for quite some time about the size and the working capabilities of inner cities and whether or not they will ever return to normal, whether or not people will ever return to offices, whether or not people will ever return to the way of life that we used to have. Now, it may well be that that is a very long way off, but surely when you listen to somebody like Martin, you get an idea of how perilous his business is. Martin, sorry, we just dropped you there for a second. I think we got you back. Sorry, yes, my internet's dropped out. Yeah. Oh, that was convenient. Yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. Listen, it happens all the time. Um, we never really knew what Zoom was really until last year. You know, and that's another story. But listen, I was just saying, look, I mean, the, 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 the good thing is, is that you've been able to borrow the money. But there may well come a time, Martin, when the next time you go to the bank and say, look, we need another, um, you know, bubble loan or something to take us through the next six months. They turn around and go, well, we can't do that. And then suddenly that, it's that, a different that, picture. That's not, that's, that's not hypothetical. I'm... I'm a member of numerous um, industry groups, as I'm sure you, you would appreciate. Yeah. I'm, I'm speaking to owners on a daily basis. And, and remember, the, these are people who are really, you know, they dynamic really sounds a little bit glib, but, but, but they are, you know, they, these are people that have started businesses from themselves. They're, they're really driven individuals. They're really resilient. They're, you know, they're positive. Um, and they're already, you know, their heads are, are pretty hung at the moment because we've been beaten for these nine months. And I've spoken to a couple of them who are in exactly that position. They've already either had their bounce back loan or they've had their corona business interruption loan. Yeah. And it's gone. And they've been back to the bank and the bank has said no. And, you know, they're, they're now adrift. They're looking at, at, th at this new year and they're clinging on by, the, you know, by their cuticles. Their nails are gone. And it, it's, it's a disaster waiting to happen. And, Please understand, these aren't what have been referred to in certain areas previously as zombie businesses. These were vibrant, mm. money-making businesses that paid yeah. tax into the exchequer, that, that were paying for public services. We need these people. We need these businesses. Yeah, it really is extraordinary. I mean, have you got in your mind, uh, Martin, or in a plan, you know, how much more you can take of this? I mean, how, how soon before you decide, for example, Harrogate has to go or, you know, Leeds has to go or Manchester has to go? Well, it's, it's difficult for us. We, we operate as one entity. So without, for argument's sake, uh, entering into insolvency practice or at least having a, a discussion with, with our landlords, we can't drop one unit. Um, we would need agreement for that. For our business, and, I, and I'm very careful about what I say here, Mike, because, you know, there's every chance that some of my staff listening to this now, yeah. you know, I don't want to worry them. They've got enough on their plate. Um, we, we, as I say, we're cash flowed under the borrowings that we've already made through till July. Mm. And frankly, as a nation, if, if we're not in something like a fit position by then, I think we're all, all in, in a very dire position. Mm. So... You know, as I say, fingers and toes are crossed. Um, um, you know, we 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 keep planning to to be uh, ready to go. But you know, it's very. I, I kept before coming on today. I'd been in a board meeting, um, and we were discussing right when do we start looking to ramp things up. And it's like you can't, mm. you, you just can't because we we want 
To be honest, I don't think we'll be given much notice. No. Um, my, my best guess is when we see retail being allowed to start open, that will be a bellwether. That will be, you know, possibly when we start to, to think about getting ready. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it, it's difficult because it's not just us. Our wholesalers can't afford to hold the stock they'll need. Yeah. Brewers can't keep stock indefinitely. Yeah. Um, it, the, the entire supply chain will need that notification of that it that it's time to you know start the process working again. I know it's absolutely shambolic and it's awful and I can't imagine how you must be feeling, Martin. But listen, I really appreciate you coming on. Let's do this some more and and, and keep in touch because um, it's such an important business, it's such an important um, you know side of business as well that, that you're involved with. So so best of luck to you and and, and we'll do all we can uh, as much as we can to try and force the government into at least either more support uh, or some kind of idea of an end game because that I think is the most frustrating thing for so many people is you can't I mean imagine if you're in the hospitality business and you work as a barman uh, or you work I don't know as a maitre d' or a waitress or a waiter or something like that and you have no clue when you're going to be able to work again and it can't be good for you to be sitting at home and furlough people don't really want to be doing that people want to be working the normal state of things is that you work you go to work uh, you talk to people you have relationships with people at work. You see other people. It's not normal to sit at home. Boris Johnson has spent uh, about the best part of 15 minutes today telling people to stay home. Well, that's all very well, but that ain't the answer, is it? Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.